Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. New Grace exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media, at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. If you got your Bible, go to James 4 and just put your finger there, pull it up on your phone. We'll have it on the screen in a second. We're in our series, Get Over It. Romans 12, 21 says, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's do what we did at Grandma's Church. Let's all read it in unison out loud together. All right, let's let's do that. Can we, we don't ever do stuff like that. I want to do that. I want to, you know what? I want everybody to stand up. Just stand up. Come on, stand up. We're going to do it. Y'all be, just be thanking God we're not reading Psalm 119. Y'all are like, oh, God, I got to read. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ready? Be not overcome. Of, y'all are rusty. All right, let's, let's try it again. <laughs> See, y'all so used to me doing all this for you, cutting up your food and here, bringing the choo-choo train. Let's do it. You ready? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a good speed, very monotone. Let's do it again. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Give yourself a hand. That was wonderful. Yeah. All right, unless y'all want to go full-blown Pentecostal, sit down. We have our bouts, don't we? Last week got real good. It was all serious last week, right? We were having surgery up in here last week. I haven't seen that many tears. I'm serious, on a Sunday morning, it's been a while since I've seen that, and they were healthy tears. They were surgical. We weren't crying because we were getting cut. We were crying because we were getting healed. I watched people get healing in this room last week. And boy, when we got to that I am gear at the end, man, we just were having some church up in here. Y'all just, y'all just wanted to stay standing. Y'all, I, felt, I, felt like I, was, I felt like I was at one of them televangelist churches preaching, and y'all be sitting there going like this right here. Mm, 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 mm. All we needed was somebody on the organ. That's all we needed was somebody on the organ. We was having a good time. Let's, re, let's recap this, this whole thing of get over it. Week one, we, 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 we broke out the series on Easter Sunday. And we talked about Jesus and how he was still alive. If he can get over what killed him, you and I can get get over what didn't kill us, right? We're still alive. You still got breath in your lungs and blood in your veins. God's not done with you. Uh, The second week, we talked about Joseph, about getting past the past. And, And you get past the past when you recognize there was purpose in the past. And last week, we talked about Moses, Getting over, and here's where we sound like a bunch of crazy people, getting over the voices in our head, right? Anybody remember the three voices? The voice of insignificance. I remember them. The voice of insufficiency and the voice of insecurity. Man, if you weren't here last week, you need to listen to that because there was a fourth voice that helped Moses get over the other three, and it was the voice of I am. I know I'm not, but I know I am. If you weren't here last week, check out the audio. It'll be a blessing to you. If you're, if you're here today, it's your first time or you missed part of the series, it's okay. You can jump in right where we are. We're talking about getting over it. And what last week did for us, last week actually moved us in a direction as overcomers yes. in the person of Christ. And it positioned all of us to deal with things that are of internal nature and getting over inner struggles and inner battles. 
And what it really did, what, the, what last week actually did for us in this series was put us in a position and it revealed to us how much of what you and I have to get over isn't actually external. It's not, it's not a, a, a circumstance or a situation from a decade ago. For some of us, it is. Uh, for some of us, it's getting over what happened with a person or a group of people. Or, or some of us feel like our life, the rest of our life, and I'm preaching to some of us in this room, is going to be defined by one thing that happened or one thing we did. And, and there's, no, there's no time machine. Nobody's drove a DeLorean up in the parking lot. Nobody's going back in time and changing this. And, we, and that's one thing a lot of us having to get over. But the more surgical we allow the Holy Spirit to get with his word, and he, he begins to cut and intrude and in, gets invasive with us, we start realizing that a lot of the things we have to get over are actually within. Yeah. It's something about us. And so what I, what I want to do today, and, and you're not, listen, I'm about to, this is going to be a sucker punch now. So if, if you're not looking, it's going to be a sucker punch. It's going to hit you. Just, I got this cross coming. So I want you to get ready. Today, what I want to do, instead of using a person to exemplify a theme, I want to use a scriptural principle to explain another area where you and I have to exercise our overcomer authority. And it's not going to be what most of you are thinking. And if you pay attention, you stay with me, because I promise you I'm going somewhere. We may even talk about a certain character that learned a lesson that you and I should never forget. If you go all the way back since the very fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, we find that we as human beings ever since that time have sought to worship, love, and please another God other than the true God. If you pay attention to biblical history, or if you look at my life, or if we put you on the stand and look at yours, everybody in this room, just like we see in the Bible, you see a pattern that every one of us is inclined to love another God more than the one true God. On, we are inclined to seek to please and fulfill another God other than the true God. And this God that we seek to serve does not deserve a capital G for its God. It is a lowercase g. And it is an idol God. And that other God is us. Mm, on, we easily become the God we live to please. Just like Adam and Eve, we have been deceived by an enemy into thinking that somehow, in some way, we can finally reach this pinnacle of fulfillment by placing ourselves before and above God himself. The same line of deception that the serpent hit Eve with, you can be as God's, it can make you wise. You can discern and know good and evil. And that phrase, be as gods. You can elevate yourself to a level where you deserve your own 
worship. And she was hook, line, and sinker. And before you and I want to throw a witch trial and set her on fire, let's remind ourselves we are exactly like her and we are exactly like Adam because we will do exactly the opposite of what the law says. Thou shalt put no other gods before me. And we go, well, nobody's making wooden graven images and nobody's melting metal to create some idol god. Nobody's got an altar in their closet or sitting there meditating before some jibberu looking thing. No, the reality is most of us live to please an idol god that we see in the mirror every morning when we get ready for work. Come on. We become our own gods. Why is that? Because ingrained and entrenched within the unsaved soul is a longing to please the God of self. And I think you could testify to this. Even after the supernatural conversion of the Holy Spirit unto biblical salvation, we're still trapped beneath this carnal nature, this fleshly instinct that always inclined to please itself. We have a, a nature that only, deser- only desires to love, serve, and worship itself. So it may be, let me say this as I move forward, it may be the thing you need to get over has little to do with something that happened. The thing you need to get over has little to do with the past. It could be the thing you need to get over is little to do with inner criticism in your head. It could be the thing you need to get over is yourself. Sometimes, I wrote this down, sometimes getting over it requires you to recognize the it and getting over it is you. Look at your neighbor, tell them you're it. You're it. You're it. Yeah, you are. You're it. And I'm it. We're it. We are it. We are what we need to get over. You are what you need to get over. Can I say this by way of introduction? We have to get over ourselves. Seriously, we got to get over ourselves. We live in this self-driven culture and it is insane. It's always been, don't think, don't look, don't, don't sit there in your rocking chair and flick boogers at young people and go, it's them, it's that next generation I'm telling you right now. They ain't got no respect for authority. No, we've always been this way. But we're seeing it manifest itself in a much more vibrant, boisterous manner than we've ever seen before. Because we have something called social media now where everybody gets to display the best version of themselves. And reality is something that can be a wonderful tool to connect something. And I, I'm, I'm not good at it. Y'all I am not good at using Facebook as a platform for Jesus. That doesn't mean I'm using it as a weapon. I just am not good at using it. I forget that I have it. I forget it's there. I'm not good at that. I think the Apostle Paul would be very good at using it for Christ. It is a wonderful tool, and it's great for connecting with people. But let's be honest. It has turned into the perfect altar to serve ourself. 97% of people between the ages of 18 and 34 have Facebook. Nothing wrong with that. They have it. The average person spends 1,000 minutes a month. Let that sink in for a second. There's people like me that spend 10 minutes a month on it, trying to log on. (laughs) Right? 
So somebody, there's, there's got to be somebody on the other end. I saw some, stat, some statistic that the top 20% of users spend between 8 and 10 hours a day on it. I'm like, what do you do? Like, what do you? We even have a thing. Like, this is crazy. We have a thing called a selfie. Like, like I'm acting like that's news. Like, some of y'all, that's news. Y'all are like, tell me about this selfie. What is that? <laughs> so you take a picture of yourself. But we called it, we coined it with the term selfie. The average American takes 450 selfies per year. Now, just for, re- for perspective and reference, there's people like me that take three. And it's always because I'm like sending it to my wife going, hey, what is this crap on my face? What, what is this? What is this? I'm, I'm, I just noticed this on my face. What is this? And I don't take, I just don't. And there's nothing wrong with taking a selfie. There's nothing wrong with posting, hey, you know, having some great tacos today, you know, or sitting here enjoying these ducks or whatever you're doing with your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have this culture that leads us to compare so much. Like, you got to admit, at some point, the the whole social media thing became really dangerous because we just got a front row seat to everybody else's life. And so all those people that we we got our diploma and walked across the platform like, see you suckers later, ain't keeping up with y'all no more. Then you got Facebook, and two decades later or a decade later, you're reconnecting with all the people from high school. Really what you're doing is seeing where you stack up. How do I compare and fare against all them? You know, and uh, God, she looks like crap now, you know, and you take a picture and filter the mess out of it. There's there's some filters that don't work with this, okay? Like I go to, my wife's had some and she's like, hey, let me put this on your face. And I'm like, you can't fix this. You can't make this go away. Like, oh, oh, he's 10 years younger, but he still doesn't have hair. Like there's only so much you can do here. You know, sometimes those filters are like, sorry, we're just, you know. We'll just give you a picture of Ryan Reynolds. That'll have to suffice. Not fooling anybody there. But, but we do. We have the culture and society that generates this, this self-drive. We just, we, look, we love ourselves. We are in love with ourselves. And so much of what we do and so much of how we act, it is producing, and I'm going to be real with you, a narcissistic, vain, self-centered society. We have become a very, very self-driven human race. Just think for a second about the way we are concerning our American privilege. We are so stuck on ourselves. We freak out over food so easy. We were talking about this at dinners for 10 last night, and all of us were guilty. And guess what? All y'all are guilty too. Like, we, we lose our crap over drive through food. You ever sat in the drive through around here anywhere? Huh? You're losing your religion. Losing your Jesus waiting on a Popeye's chicken sandwich. Talk to me, church. Bless God, got your new grace decal on the back. You sitting there freaking out. People see you slamming on the dashboard, knocking your rearview mirror off. Right? Then God forbid you wait 30 minutes and get down the road and realize they put chicken in your soft taco instead of beef. Right? Meanwhile, in Haiti, there's a teenage boy who hasn't eaten in three days. 
We freak out over a hundred dollar pair of shoes or not being able to get what we want or it's on back order. We want this, we want that. And there's a kid that goes to school with our kid and he's got the same pair of shoes on that he had last year and he's hit a growth spurt. There's holes in his shoes and they're too tight. They don't fit because his parents took his last pair and traded them in for drugs. We freak out over self-driven agendas. Think about the way we are with our phones. Hey, we let our phones ruin our day. Trying to make, it drops a call, you know? Where you're trying to send a message and it just keeps giving you that little red exclamation point. You're like, and you, you just you want to lose it. You ever thrown your phone out the window? Huh? I hate Verizon. What? Freaking out over a text message. Give it, give it a second. It's got to go to space before it gets to that person, okay? Give it a second, right? All of these things, all of these things are indicators that we are very self-agenda Driven. We want a Burger King life. We want to live that, have it your way 24-7. This is not home of the Whopper and you ain't the king, baby. We got to get over ourselves. What is it, what is it, by the way, that makes us this way? Upbringing? Spoiled? Are we entitled? Maybe it's a combination of some of those things. But I'm afraid, biblically speaking, it is way deeper than that. I think it is far more difficult than just that. I think it comes down to a cancer of the soul. A cancer of the soul that brought down celestial power. A cancer of the soul that spoiled the splendor of paradise. A blemish in your DNA and a blemish in my DNA. And this blemish, ladies and gentlemen, it ruins successful men and women. It poisons good people. It wedges itself between godly marriages. It divides healthy growing churches. And it builds walls between God and the very heart of humanity. You are it. I am it. We are it. And the thing that makes us it is pride. Everybody say that word with me. Pride. Like at grandma's church, say it with me. Pride. Your pride. Your pride is the nastiest, ugliest thing about you. Your pride is a poison running through your veins. Your pride is what makes you and it's what makes me the thing we need to get over. We are full of pride. Look on the screen with me. Look what the Bible says about pride. Psalm 73, 6. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Look at the next one. Look at the next one quickly. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty or a lifted up spirit before a fall. Go to the next one. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low. Does anybody know what I, that? We know what that's talking about, don't we? We've been there. Pride brings us low. Go to the next one. And I will break the power of your pride. Leviticus 26, 19. Go to the last one. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. What in the world are you and I going to do about this? Because this is a problem. A greater pandemic than this virus is the pride plaguing our hearts, our marriages, and our minds. How do we overcome pride? James 4. 
I'm gonna give you something to chew on and it's gonna help you. We're gonna move quickly, you ready? James 4, James was a very conservative writer. Many believe, without a doubt, he was the brother of Jesus. Here's something interesting. He grew up in the house with Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God until after his resurrection. Could it be when James talks about overcoming pride, he knows very well what that is in a relational manner and that it may have been his pride keeping him from belief all those years of growing up knowing Jesus. He knew him in such a familiar way that he never knew him in a faith way. James 4, James says this, but he giveth more grace. I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you're in this room and you think you have withdrawn all the grace out of God's bank account, I want to tell you, you can never draw God's bank account of grace into insufficiency. You can't ever draw it. Anybody in this room know what I'm talking about? Anybody in this room ever had a second chance? Anybody in this room ever had a 10th chance? Yeah. He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but give grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. James gives us some quick insight, and I'm gonna go over it very, very quickly with you concerning how you and I get over this pride. He says in verse six, God resists the pride, or God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Look at it again, verse six. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So James right there just calls out everybody who carries themselves in pride. He calls them proud. He says that they are proud. And, and, and now, I want you to understand the use of the word right here. It's not the same thing we say to our child about something when we say, hey, I'm proud of you. This word proud in the Greek, I'll give you the actual Greek definition. Proud, showing oneself above others. Overtopping, or another way we would say it, being over the top with yourself. An overweening estate of, or an overweening estimate of one's means or merits, despising others or even treating them with contempt or being haughty. Here's my definition, proud. It is living with an inflated sense of self. Wow. You think more of yourself than you're supposed to. You treat yourself in a way that puts you above and beyond everybody and everything else, including God. And I wanna say this, we have gotta get over this pride because if we want to get over ourselves, it starts by climbing over pride. Think, think for a second about the effect that pride has on you and the effect that pride has on me. Be- because of pride, we refuse to own or accept responsibility for a wrongdoing or a fault. I need all the married people to nod your head because you all know what I'm talking about, right? When it's our fault, 
What do we do? We, 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 we place the blame somewhere else. We do the same thing Adam and Eve did. We place the blame on the snake. Stick with that story. We place the blame on one another. And maybe we even have the gall to blame God. But we do not want to put ourselves under the brunt of responsibility. What else does pride do? Pride causes us to turn away help when we need it. It causes us to be too proud to accept, accept help when we're actually in a position, positioned by God, that we should be asking for it. Wow. What else does pride do? It suppresses our need to apologize. We'd rather stay out with someone. Just too proud. Too proud. Can't say, I'm sorry. Grew up in a household never hearing it. There were times when your parents should have said it to you. They never said it, never sat you down, humbled themselves and said they're sorry. You've, you've, never, you've never had to say you're sorry. And now here you are, you're four years into this marriage and you don't know how to say, I'm sorry. Wow. How in the world do you think you're gonna make it to 40 years of marriage if you're at four and you can't learn how to negotiate and compromise your emotions and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. What's the root of that? It's pride. It's pride. Pride causes us to suppress a needed apology or repent. And we'd rather just stay out with somebody. Pride, here we go, let's go a little further. Pride causes us to refuse a response to God in prayer. Do you know how many times there have been people that God has dealt with in this room? And we do a thing culturally here. It's not any more right than the people that don't do it. But at the end of every single gathering, just about almost every time, I'll ask people, if you want to come forward and pray, and sometimes there's a heavy response and sometimes it's real light. There's been times when I don't ask for it. Last Sunday, it was a very heavy response. But here's something, here's something that I want you, I want to help you grow past. I want, you to help, I want to help you get over this. There are people in this room and God will begin to deal with you. And he will say to you at the end, and it doesn't mean you're any more spiritual by leaving your seat and coming down here. And it doesn't mean you're more jacked up than everybody else by leaving your seat and coming down here. But the Spirit of God will say, get out of your seat, because that's your little comfort zone where you're protected and secure and you're hiding. Get out of your seat, come down here, away from everybody, leaving your prideful self, come down here, whether you're kneeling, standing, and come and have a talk with me. And God, and here's what will happen today. It'll happen today. Because I'm going to ask for the same thing today. And there will be people standing there and their heart is going. And God's going, go, go, go. And they're going. That's just pride. That's pride. No, no, I'm afraid. No, no, you're, you're afraid that you're going to have to do it with your pride. Your pride is keeping you from prayer. Here's another thing I've watched. And it happened to me. And I overcame this quickly because I was like, I'm not going to be this kind of Christian. I'm not going to be this kind of believer. Is pride also damns the river of worship. You ever, you ever been sitting there and you wanted to worship, but your pride said, don't you, don't, don't put your hand up. Don't you clap. Don't you say amen. Don't you say, don't you say praise God. Don't you say hallelujah. I mean, you might like be like me. When I first started, I didn't know how to say amen, hallelujah. I said hot dog. I did, man. Somebody was preaching. I jumped up and said, hot dog. And that church would be glad I didn't stand up and cuss. I was brand new out of the box, right? I use adjectives to describe things. I use cuss words as adjectives to describe things. Let's be thankful I said hot dog. And, and, and so, but I, I wanted to respond. And so worship is like a river. It begins to move through you. And what many of us will do, and this church is going to break you out of that. Yeah. It's hard to come here and be damned. Amen. That's right. 
It is. It's hard to come here and be damned in your worship and be damned in the preaching. And sometimes I'll get, I'll get stirred and the Spirit of God will begin to speak through me and, and, and move through me and move on me. And, and that same spirit of worship that happens in the music will happen in the preaching. And y'all will end up on your feet and you'll end up applauding God and you'll end up giving Him your best praise. And listen, when that thing begins to happen, don't let your pride dam up that river. If God is worthy of a hallelujah or an amen or a glory or a that's right or a come on or a go ahead, or a get with it, or a hot dog. But what does pride do? Pride says, don't look fanatical. Don't look like a spiritual nut. Don't look cultish. Right? God will get to stir it on you. And you're sitting there, 50 years old, tough grown man, and, 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 and them tears or a response to an inner working of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, don't look weak. Don't look weak. Don't cry. Don't look weak. That's pride. See, these are all the different things that pride does to us. Pride goes to great lengths to cover the imperfections of our character because pride puts on. Pride puts on. Pride plays pretend. And we don't want nobody to know that we've got junk in a trunk. We don't want nobody to know that we got issues because we, 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 we can hide it on social media and we can hide it on Sunday morning. And sometimes we love people at arm's length because if they got close to us, they would really know us. Pride puts on and pride puts out. You know what else pride does? Pride will make you swell up on Holy Spirit correction. Come on now. Yeah. You know what that's called? I call that bowing up at God. You ever bowed up at God? Bowed up at his truth? Man, I one time I was getting on to one of my boys and he bowed up at me. <laughs> Threw out them little gangly wings with that. I said, what? What was that? You better drop that chin before I drop you. What are you doing? We do the same thing with God. We'll be sitting there in the middle of a sermon and that, and that tender touch of the Holy Spirit in a corrective, convicting manner will put his finger on a part of our morals or our decision-making or our lifestyle and he'll point it out and we bow up at God in pride. I ain't, I ain't doing I ain't going back there. I don't like that guy. It ain't got nothing to do with me. I don't like them. You start coming up with reasons. You ever done that? Come on. Come on. I ain't going back there. It's too loud. too loud. You've been at a journey concert three weeks later. It ain't too loud. <laughs> Pride will take credit for what God has done. It's very dangerous. Point blank, our pride makes us proud. And here's what's interesting, because James said in verse 6, God resisteth the proud. Do you notice that? God resisteth the proud. There, there is a resistance. If you're taking notes, write this down. There's a resistance that's created by pride because the Bible says that God resists somebody like this. Here's what's interesting. You ready? I'm gonna give you something to think about right here. It's interesting that we easily skip over verse six and we actually easily quote an excerpt from the next verse in verse seven. We like to quote, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
And we like to use that verse because that is one of the verses we use in spirit warfare when guarding ourselves against the devil and his temptation and his tactics. And we'll quote that verse, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And we don't even think about verse number six. Here's interesting. James uses the same form of the word in verse six as he does about God telling us to resist the devil. Did you notice that? He says, God resists the proud. He says, God is going to treat a proud person the same way we're supposed to treat the devil. Come on now. Whoa. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. God's going to treat a proud person the same way we're supposed to treat the devil. Resist means to stand against or oppose. It means you're supposed to plant yourself. Whether it's arms crossed, uh-uh, nope, I ain't doing it, uh-uh, ain't doing it. You ever had that? Satan begins to tempt you with something, try to lure you into a battle that ain't yours, tries to get you to make a decision that's, 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 that's disconnected from God, tries to get your mind thinking about something else, tries to get you in a state of oppression, begins, begins to pressure you with pride. We're like, resist the devil, resist, like Jesus did, resist the devil, uh-uh, I ain't doing it, I ain't doing it, I'm resisting. The same word is used talking about God with proud people. My that a proud person, God's like, uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. I hear what you're saying, but I ain't doing nothing. I see you down there asking, but I ain't doing, uh-uh. Nope, too proud. I can't work, I can't work with that. I can't work with it. You're too, you're too full of yourself. God says he is against them. I think we need to take this serious because when I think, live, act, or speak with an inflated sense of self, God says, uh-uh, I'm against that. When I refuse an apology, think about it. When I do all those things that are indicators I'm being proud, when I bow up on God, when I refuse to worship, when I love myself so much that I have a huge gap between me and the love I should have for God. You know what? I, I have been to churches where they get people to worship. They say, just do it anyway. How are you supposed to do it? How are you supposed to worship a God you don't love? How are you supposed to worship a God you don't know? Any old puppet can put their hand in the air. Anybody can clap. But could it be that many of us don't know God and we don't love God because there is pride between us and a relationship with God? That's why you can't worship, because it ain't real to you. You're like, I don't get what the big fuss is about. Why are they so excited? What is that? Like, this is silly. God's like, can't work with that. And all of my holiness and glory and how big and how great and how good I am. I'm God and I deserve your worship, but you won't even give me a thought. I wrote this down. Who are we to be inflated or proud against God? Doesn't the biblical analogy say it like this? We are but clay and he is the potter. Okay, here's a thought. At what point, when the potter goes down to the river and he reaches into the muck and the mud and the mire and pulls a lump of clay, takes it back to the potter's house, pulls all the sticks, rocks, and debris out of it, and begins to fashion it with his own hands on the potter's wheel, and begins to take that little lump of clay that was nothing when he found it, and he had to reach down into the yuck to get it. He begins to shape that thing and give it purpose and give it form and give it meaning. And it's right there in the center of the wheel. 
God Almighty. And he's getting personal with it and he's crafting it and he's shaping it. And he, and he puts it into the fire every now and then because he needs to harden it so it can take a permanent shape and it can actually hold things and not fall apart every time things get wobbly or out of sorts. And, and he brings it out of that heat and he begins to paint it with intricate detail and give it color and give it picture and give it portrayal of himself. And he sets it somewhere on the shelf and he puts something in it and puts it out for display. At what point does that vessel think that the potter is in debt to the clay? At, like, um, at what point did the clay forget where it came from? Has the clay forgotten the tender touch of the potter's hand? Does the clay think he got there all by himself? I'm reminded of that gentleman was walking with his son and they walked up to a fence post and there was a turtle sitting on the fence post. And that boy was blown away. He said, Daddy, how did that turtle climb up there on that fence post? He said, Son, that turtle didn't climb on that fence post. Someone bigger than him picked him up and set him there. And the only way he'll ever get off is if someone that put him there takes him down from there. I want to tell you something. You didn't get where you are in this world, in life, and you didn't come this far in the kingdom of God or the family. of You didn't get out of your sin, and God did not deliver you from the muck and the mire of your brokenness, your pain, and your addiction. He didn't set you on the shelf fill you up, give you meaning, give you purpose so you could swell up on yourself. Am I preaching yet? Am I preaching yet? Who is the clay to think that the potter owes the clay a favor? Here's, my, here's what I wrote down. How did it all of a sudden become all about the vessel? Couldn't the potter use one of the other hundreds of thousands of vessels instead of this one? Couldn't the potter just stick this one on the shelf and not use it? Couldn't the potter just empty this one out? Couldn't the, pot, couldn't the potter just break it if he wanted to? God resists the proud. I think this actually sums up the eternal state for so many people in this world. Most people I've met over the last 20 years, it won't be addiction that sends them to hell. It won't be lying. It won't be all them things that other religious people say. You got this kind of lifestyle. You make these kind of decisions. You do this and you do that. No, 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 no. The thing that'll send most people to hell will be pride. An inflated sense of self with no need for God. JJ's going to help me close. I'm going to land this plane. What do we do about that? Because I just left you with a whole bunch of bad news. <laughs> Two verses. You ready? Verse 7 and 10. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Amen. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight Amen. of the Lord and he shall lift you up. There's a remedy. If you're taking notes, write that down. There's a remedy that cures pride. It's interesting. Verse number seven. 
Let's go back to verse number seven again. God, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And then verse seven says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now here's something interesting. The devil is the persona of pride. I want you, look, don't, y'all stay with me. We're not, we're not done yet. Don't be thinking about checking out your kids yet. Hang on, stay with me. The devil is the persona of pride. It was the devil that tempted Eve and Adam into, into sin with pride. It was the devil that's personified by the character of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. Whether you think that's the Babylonian king or you think it's actually the angelic being Lucifer who turned Satan, regardless, what we know is he says in Isaiah 14, he actually says with his own mouth, Isaiah 14, he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Lucifer saying to himself, I will, I will be like God. I'll be above everything else. And we know, we know how that worked out for him, right? Wasn't it the devil in Matthew 4 that came to Jesus and tempted him three times? And the third time was centered on pride, brought him up, showed him all the glory of the kingdoms and said, I could give you this. So much of the persona of pride is attached to that character. Put verse seven back up there, the devil. But I wanna show you something. Let me show you something that we do wrong. We quote, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look up here. He he ain't running from you. The devil is not gonna flee from you because he is not scared of you. But that Bible says resist, no, 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 look at look, look, he is not gonna run from you. Apart from God, he is the most, arguably the most powerful created being in this universe. Why is he running from you? We misquote this. If you're gonna quote this, quote the entire thing. Because there's an order to this. Submit yourself to God. Oh, okay, now this is making a little bit of sense. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me, let me, let me, let me put this in perspective. Mason, come here. Come here, Mason. Come on. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Stand right there. Mason represents you and I. I'll be the devil. It's a good analogy. Here's what we do. We say, I heard that. Oh God, what happened? Oh, Jesus. Resist the devil and he will, he will flee from you. This is a lopsided fight here. And, and by himself, by ourselves, we do not have the authority against this angelic power to resist the lure and the pressure of pride that he can impose upon us. Sam, come here. Stay right there, Sam. When you walk in your own authority and you live a life that's not submitted to the character and the person and the power of God, you are what I would call on your own. 
and you are a sitting duck and an easy target for satanic ploy and power. But when you go submit yourself unto God, and then you resist the devil. See, I had a I had an easy time taking this one. But he might have a saw blade that comes out of that leg and cuts me out. I don't know what he's got up his sleeve. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You, you have got to understand in order to overcome the persona of pride that radiates from the depths of who you are, that's linked to this curse of the devil, you've got to understand that your power and your authority, it is not in yourself, it's not in how strong you are, how self-willed you are, your authority is in a God that stands head and shoulders above your enemy and the only power you'll find in your authority, it is anchored in the person of a God you submit to. Somebody help me praise him this morning. Let's give him glory. I'm nothing on my own. I don't stand a chance on my own. But I've got a God I can run to. Bless his holy name. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was verse 7. Submit yourself. Get under the authority of God. Watch this. When you get under the authority of God, you begin to live out verse 10. Put it up there. Humble. Oh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. I don't have time, but verses 8 and 9 tell you what this looks like. You can read that this afternoon. Tonight, before you go to bed, read verses 8 and 9. That tells you how you approach God in his authority. Humble yourselves. Humble means to lower or reduce yourself. To lower or reduce yourself. Pride gets you in the way. Somebody say amen. amen. It's like the solar system. It is. You know how out of order our solar system would be if Earth was the center of the system? We do that though. We put ourselves at the center of the system. Watch this. We've all done it. We put ourselves at the center and then everything else in the universe revolves around us, right? Watch this. Here's the danger of this. When we, in our pride, make it all about us, God, and everything attached to God, here we go. We'll put God and church in the same bucket because usually they are inseparable in your mind and mine. We can't think of God and church separately. We're kind of lumped together. And when we make ourselves the center, anchored in the gravitational pull of our pride, God and church becomes another planet that orbits us. We are the center and it orbits us. Here's, here's the danger in that. Everybody else, everything else in this world orbits us. Everything about God orbits us. And when you do that, this whole thing of God and church, you don't want it to be out there where Pluto is. Because remember what happened to Pluto. Right? My kids grew up not really knowing about Pluto. I grew up, I'm like, he's a planet and a dog. He matters. He matters. Now we done written this joker off, right? Why? Because he's so far removed from the center. He's frozen. Takes him 248 years, I think it is, to make one orbit. 
around the sun. What we do is we don't want to put God in church so far out there to where nobody can, sit, nobody can look at us and say, you're not a Christian. But we don't want to put it so close to the center that it begins to take up all of our life. So we want to kind of put God in church somewhere in orbit around the middle to where we can at least post once a week and say, went to church today and it was wonderful. Or, you know, or we can, we can say, we can tell our grandma at a family reunion, yeah, I went to church this Sunday, grandma. I'm there, I'm good. But we, we check all the boxes that our traditional parents and grandparents check and we keep God in church in orbit. It's not our life, it's just in our life. There is a very big difference between it being in your life and it being your life. Pride gets you in the way. Humility gets you out of the way. Humility makes you trade places with God. And God becomes a sinner. Christ becomes a sinner. Everything about Christ becomes a sinner. And now, churches and God and the word and your Christianity is not just a thing you do. Now it's who you are. Now it's the center of your being. It's the center of your world. Can you imagine how different your life would look if you and God traded spots in the orbit? Because sometimes he's only God on Sunday and you're God Monday through Saturday. Let's be honest, he's God for 73 minutes on Sunday. Here's the bottom line, getting over. Go to that bottom line, getting over yourself is achieved when you get yourself out of the way. So get out of the way, get out of the way. You're in the way. Your spouse is not in the way, you're in the way. But my spouse, no, don't start with your spouse. You're so busy looking over the gate at everything that's not right in their garden, you're missing the weeds in yours. Your pride is causing you to look over and go, you need to fix that. You need to fix you. We can't grow any fruit over here because all your weeds are choking the devil out of it. Pride puts you in the way at work, puts you in the way of your money, puts you in the way you're at pride. Right here, here's, here's a great start, here's a great example. In just a second, I'm gonna get everybody to stand up and I'm gonna ask everybody in this room that needs, like their pastor, needs to get over themselves, because you're it, and your pride is the thing that's making you it, to get over your pride and get over yourself, and look, live the verse, humble yourself. Submit, hey, I'm sorry, I've been in the way. I'm sorry, I've been calling the shots. I've been treating the money like you as the potter owe me a favor. Come on. I've been, I've been making decisions like I'm the center. And I'm, I'm asking you to honor this humility, because here it is. You either humble yourself or God will do it for you. Get out of the way. Because when you get out of the way, you get over yourself. 